Life Podcast. My name is Victoria Smith and I am your host today. We have a very exciting guest on today. We will be joined by one of Team Canada's synchronized swimmers, Claudia Holzner. So Claudia is going to talk to us all about what it takes to train for the Olympics. And I ask her all sorts of questions that I've always been curious about with professional athletes. Like, how do they get paid? And like, what does an average day look like? How often are you training? If this is something that a kid is growing up thinking, I want to go to the Olympics, what does that actually take? We talk about what she's learned about herself and about other people in the process of training and being an athlete. And we also talk about what's going to be next for her once she retires, because as we all know, professional athletes retire earlier in their careers. I mean, in their late 20s, early 30s, that kind of thing. So it was a really great interview. Now, I do apologize. There are some audio issues that we experienced throughout. I did do whatever I could to smooth it out, but... um, bear with me. It's definitely an interesting episode. Now, I want to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Now, given that it is a sports theme today, I want to let you know that ATB sponsors hockey all the way from Tom Thumb to Pee Wee and the Pros. They also love helping local volunteers whose tireless efforts often make hockey possible in their communities. I work with a nonprofit that focuses on volunteers. I know that nothing like this, no community sports happen without volunteers being involved. So I think it's fantastic that ATB supports that. Now, I mentioned we're part of the Alberta Podcast Network, a provincial network of great podcasts on every kind of topic. I want to stay on theme today. We're already talking about sports podcasts, so I want to let you know about a podcast called The Fourth Line. Now, they talk about it as no finesse. They're just grinding out their opinions on hockey and hockey-related news. I've gotten to meet one of the hosts, very entertaining guy, and I hear nothing but great things about this podcast. I am not a hockey person myself. I kind of go more for the solo sports, like me going swimming on my own or me going jogging on my own or going walking, (laughs) but I know so many people in my life that are just absolute hockey addicts, so I think if you are, you will absolutely love the 4th Line podcast. Now, I will link to all of this in the show notes for today, which are at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash four nine. One last ask before we head into the interview. This is our 49th episode, which is really, really exciting. Now, I have this dream, you guys. I have this absolute dream that by the time we get to 50 episodes, I'll have 50 reviews on iTunes. Now, it's a big dream. It's a big dream. I'm at 20 right now, at 20 in Canada. So if you want to be part of making my big dream happen, and I would so love it if you did, if you could just go on to iTunes, you know, go into your podcast app, search for the podcast, and then click, you kind of have to scroll down a little bit, but click leave a rating and review. I would so appreciate it. It helps other people to find the podcast. And I want to know that... I want to know what you think about it. I want to know what your feedback is and which interviews you absolutely loved and what you'd love to hear more about. So if you would be willing to go onto iTunes and leave a review to help us get to 50 reviews by the 50th episode, big, big dream, one week to make it happen, I would so appreciate it. So thank you so much. And without further ado, let's head over to the episode. Well, thank you so much, Claudia, for joining us on the podcast. We're really excited to have you. Thank you for having me. It's a great experience for me as well. So I wanted to start, 
I guess from the beginning in terms of like how you got into synchronized swimming and then when you realized this is something you you wanted to do professionally um well I was quite young so I started out in gymnastics originally and I started that when I was about three years old and then when I was eight I saw synchronized swimming on tv and I believe it was the olympics but I'm not 100% sure anymore I remember I watched that and I immediately told my parents that what I wanted to do. They put me into a week-long summer camp and then the rest is history. Yeah, and you were part of the Calgary Aquabells? Calgary Aquabells, yes. I was actually one of their, in their club for two years way back when in the day, but... (laughs) That's fun. Yeah, I did not get to your level, but (laughs) obviously, but had such a great experience with it. Thinker is fun, actually. Yeah. So when did you decide that it was something that you wanted to, like, this was what you wanted to pursue? <laughs> it's funny. I'm actually quite um, a, an athlete that strives for the Olympics, whether I'm good at a sport or not. So when I was not good at gymnastics, I thought I was going to the Olympics anyway for gymnastics. But it was immediate for me for synchro. I think, like, the goal was always there no matter what. And that's just where I wanted to go. And then as soon as it started becoming a potential reality for me, it was, you know, I was going full throttle for that goal for sure. Yeah. Okay. So did you come from a family that were like into sports? Is this? Yeah. My, my parents are very sporty people. They never did anything competitively. I think my dad did skiing, downhill skiing when he was younger for fun. And so I started in that actually as well. So I was skiing from a very young age, hiking, swimming. I was doing a lot and my parents always encouraged me to be athletic and it was always something they wanted for me. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that occurs to me about competitive sports when when you're a teenager, when you're in your youth, it almost feels like you need to grow up a bit faster. Like you have to be competition ready. You're training in the morning and the evening. Like, did you ever feel that, that it kind of... I mean, I guess you don't know any different, but did you feel that it kind of had made you grow up faster? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I believe that it really helps add to that, what would I call it? There's like a sense of maturity as well as a time management. Yeah. That you, that you really learn at a young age, especially going through school. And if you need a part-time job, for example... I was very fortunate that I was just going to school. I was going to school full-time, actually, whereas some athletes only do school part-time. So I was very fortunate to finish my schooling quite quickly and then do part-time swimming and still be able to thrive in the sport and everything like that. So I definitely helped me grow up and be able to move out of the house at 18 and be able to survive on my own. And yeah, it definitely helped. But when you say part-time swimming, this is still like, 15 to 20 hours a week isn't it yeah more than that yeah it's oh like gosh. it's probably around I think when I was at the Acavels I was training two and a half to three hours a night depending and with extra routines I would swim like four hours a day and then Saturdays and Sundays okay so this is a total random question when you are swimming or exercising that many hours a day Can you eat whatever you want? Okay, so (laughs) that is a tough question because if any single professional 
probably would say that you have to be on a diet. And I don't believe in that at all. I've been in the sport for 16 years and I've dieted. I've done the crash diet. I've tried everything. And, you know, people have told me for many years to lose weight. And I just realized a few years ago that the happier I am with my body, the faster I lose weight and the more naturally I do. So I eat whatever I want. And I believe that the training, if I'm training smart and hard enough and I'm working hard, then the weight will come off no matter what. Because so. you need the energy and the fuel to do four hours of exercise every day. Like it's, you, I, you can't do that on a diet. Yeah, definitely. And now especially like we're in adulthood and, you know, you need a little bit of extra energy during the day and we're training extra hours. So now I train about 40 hours a week, which is <laughs> oh, okay. We'll get back to that in a second. So, so you moved, did you move to Montreal when you were 18? I did. Yeah. And what was that move like? Cause it's one thing to feel you know, mature and ready to leave home. It's another thing to move across the country. Oh, yes. It was horrible. It was a horrible experience. Oh, no. I, well, it was, it was hard because you're moving across the country and, you know, you're trying to find an apartment and, you know, you're looking, at, I looked on Kijiji to find <laughs> an apartment and, you know, it's things like that where you, you see pictures and you're expecting one thing and then you show up and you're like, oh, my goodness. I was not expecting to have to, you know, clean this entire apartment head to toe. And, like, you know, you have to really get in there and do all the dirty work to make it, you know, a home. Yeah. But my parents did come with me. I'm also an only child, so it was it was tough for me to, like, actually be alone because I have spent majority of my life, you know, with my parents 24-7. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, they spent a few days with me and, got everything ready and bought me some furniture so that I you know, had a couch, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was tough. I yeah. mean, the first year was really, really hard. Oh, that's nuts. Okay. So you're in training for the Olympics as we speak. You're on Team Canada. What, like, what's an average day or an average week for you? Like 40 hours of training a week. How does that break down in your life? Yeah. So, well, actually I'm going through kind of a, a transition year the center actually has dissolved a little bit this year. So we're doing national team training in the summers only. So I'm training with a club in Montreal, actually, which is the last five years I've trained at the Center of Excellence at the Olympic Stadium. Yeah. So it's about, it's the same amount of hours, but I've added, you know, trying to do a solo and like we, you know, go back to the roots a little bit of swimming and trying to enjoy just being a synchronized swimmer and, instead of being a competitive athlete the whole year round, which I think is a great experience for me because for five years, it's just been about getting the results and making weight and, you know, being the best all the time. And I think now it's more of a learning experience for me. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of strength and flexibility and there's a lot of precision that goes into the work that we're doing. So, you know, some days we could just be working on one arm a hundred times over and it still isn't perfect and then the next day we have to start again with that same arm so it can be tedious at times but definitely when we're closer to competition the volume and intensity of our training increases as well so we'll be swimming the routine through three or four times each routine 
so it can be pretty exhausting with the hours especially yeah so has this ever been done before like having everyone practice in their home cities or whatnot because it seems it seems counterintuitive but I am not a professional athlete yeah so the center I believe only came into effect in 2008 and we had a group of athletes there and then you know with head coach changes and whatnot also you know there's also different aspects to the money and sponsorships and stuff like that so for me it's the first time in my five years of being there Uh, it's the first time that I've been allowed to go back to a club and I think you know there's a positive and a negative experience to it it's hard to train a team that's supposed to compete in the summer with limited amount of time together we'll be training a week every month which is not not a lot but it it will help eventually but as soon as we come into 2019 we'll centralize again and be going forward for the olympics yeah so as soon as one olympics ends Mm -hmm. like are you already starting and planning for the next one or when do you how does that all work so it it happens quite quickly actually so now i guess it's it's kind of funny because i've been through a quad already uh so i've been through the whole experience so there's you know we have old members for the first year of the team and then maybe in the second year there'll be more new members and younger ones and then from the third and fourth year we come together and we start training for the next for the olympics and then as soon as the olympics end the people who are in their older years or feel like they are ready to retire they retire and then we start a new cycle of athletes so it's right now it's yeah we're in that next phase of it I guess yeah that's mm-hmm. nuts I came to know you through watching that CBC documentary perfect and yeah. one of the things that struck me and I and I recognized this as well when I was doing swimming but you know there's both the technical and the artistic score but at the end of the day it is a it's a judge sport it's not like soccer where it's about the number of goals or anything like that so how has that affected a team like Canada who celebrates diversity I think that the first moment you step onto the platform it sets the the tone for the routine so you know as much as we want it to be unbiased and that certain people are watching certain things I think that there's always a perception and especially even with who you're swimming for, there can be a perception there as well. So that can have ups and downs for Canada, for sure. But, you know, we do like to celebrate how culturally diverse we are. And we're a strong group of women, and I don't think we're afraid to show that, which is great, but it's also not entirely what the sport has been in the past. So that can be positive and negative. Yeah. Do you find that there's certain countries where that goes over better or certain types of competitions like Pan Am versus other competitions? Yeah, I, I think that in my past experience, we've seen a lot of the countries that have been in the top for years and years and years stay at the top. And that is not a problem if they're perfect. Like Russia, for example, they're an amazing team and they deserve their spot. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are trying to break the barriers and they're trying to push for that um, higher level and to push for podium. And 
right now we're seeing a little bit of a mix-up between like Japan and Ukraine, for example. But other than that, it, the ranking stays about the same. And that starts right away at the first competition of the quad. So in the World Championships of the first year, we see the rankings come out the way they are, and then that would generally lead to the way we rank for the rest of the quad. So we tried to rank as best we can in the first competition. Last quad, we did see some minor changes, mm -hmm. but yeah, generally we do see the same scoring. Maybe not the same marks, but the same ranking for sure. So if there is that kind of same ranking, how do you keep your motivation up like if you're trying to if you're hoping to get to the podium if that's you know the end goal how do you keep the motivation up so well of course that's the end goal yeah all athletes want to be on the podium for sure but I think for us especially in this last last little quad we were always striving to be better as a team and to be better teammates for each other for sure so for us it was more about swimming to our best abilities and performing the way we wanted to perform and showing the judges that we deserve, a, if not a better placing, great marks, no matter what our name is or how different we are, we deserve to be where we are and we deserve to be in the top ranks of the countries. Um, and I think now we're in a transition here, so we can't really tell what this year is going to be like and we can't tell what our future holds for now but as soon as we go into 2019 we'll see what happens yeah what's really interesting about that is I think whether it's for synchro or otherwise what you're talking about is defining success for yourselves exactly yeah it's really important because going day by day and not seeing the outside world I mean we were training like at the pool maybe 12 hours a day at that point and like it gets to a situation where, you know, you have to really think about what you want and what's going to make you happy. Yeah. I think that that was our biggest thing, especially going into the, to the Olympic qualifier. We knew that it was going to be a tough fight and we wanted to fight to the very end. And I mean, we had a, a bit of a loss there and it was, it was a sad moment for all of us, but I think it was, it was a changing point. For sure. Yeah. So in terms of having a loss and, and building your resiliency, how do you personally pick yourself up? Well, there's time off. Yeah. <laughs> I like a little bit of time off and I like stepping away from the sport. For me, I find that I really like to separate my home life and my swimming life. And I realized that a few years ago when I was training at the center, I I found out that, you know, me talking about my synchro life and my challenges throughout the day to a person at home every night doesn't necessarily mean good things for me and for a relationship, for example. Yeah. So I definitely like to, like, separate it, forget about swimming for the evening, have a calm and relaxing night, and then as soon as I step into the pool the next morning, it's my work and I'm ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, we all need that uh, mental time to recharge, right? Oh, yeah, and a lot of sleep. And a lot of sleep, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so when you're talking about training 12 hours a day, 
and then now you're training something like 40 hours a week. So how, like, do you need to have a job in order to, the complicated question from my point of view, not being into competitive sports and a lot of people I know, you know, and we have kids and that kind of thing. And you think, Oh, one day maybe my kid will be an Olympian. What does that actually take? Like, is it self-funded? Do you need sponsorship? Like, is this a full-time gig or are you still working on the side? Well, ultimately it does depend on the sport federation itself. So for the first quad that I was a part of, I had, you know, majority of everything was given to the athletes. So we had our doctors and our physiotherapy appointments and our massages were free at the clinic that is right across the pool. So that was a great a great thing. But if you need any other treatments, for example, that's something that you have to pay for on your own. And we are funded by Sport Canada. So okay. each athlete has their own salary, I guess you could call it. So you get funding from Sport Canada for the year, which is it's not a lot, but it is enough to live on if, as long as you're, you know, smart with your money, for sure. And in the first quad, all of our competitions were paid for. So that was something that was really good, and we were, you know, very happy with how generous they were being. This year, we lost some of our funding due to not going to the Olympics in 2016. So we are in a situation where we have to pay a little bit more. So yes, I do have a job now. I'm coaching at Dollard Synchro part-time. Okay. Yeah, because you have to, you travel all over the world for this. Yes. So I, I don't have to pay for everything, but there are certain things that I do have to pay for. So national team fees have increased a little bit and, you know, there's, there's small yeah. competitions. And now that I'm a part of a club as well, that's something I have to think about because being a part of a club, I do have to pay for, you know, new coaches and their strength program and their club fees and then pay for the national team fees. So it's, it's changed a little bit this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's fascinating because every country seems to handle things differently as well. And then I guess every sport you get the different amount depending on your sport. It's, it's fascinating from an outsider's point of view. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there's differences, especially as a, as a team member versus an individual athlete. Yeah. We don't get as many opportunities to have sponsorship as a team because there's so much that has to be provided for a team versus an individual. Yeah. So it's hard to find. It's hard to find that sponsorship for sure. Yeah. So many Canadians will have recently seen you in the L'Oreal adverts. How did that come about? In Garnier? Or Garnier, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Similar thing to this, actually. They saw me on Perfect the documentary and they contacted me and it was yeah it was a great experience I loved it it was just so neat because I yeah it's uh not often that you see synchronized swimming in um in pop culture and in advertising and it was yeah it was a neat experience yeah and I think it was a great a great concept for them to have a someone who actually trains in the water and has to wear waterproof makeup and be able to test their product I think it was really really good idea for them but yeah. really fun for me so I enjoyed every minute of it so yeah <laughs> okay I've got a couple really quick random questions for you how many different routines would you estimate off the top of your head you have done in your swimming career 
like since you were a kid? Okay, off the top of my head, so it's a like five a year at least for 16 years. Holy. Yeah, about that. And now a little bit more. Well, yeah, a little bit more due to, you know, technical routine and a free routine. So that'll add a little bit. So that's probably like six now. And how much money do you think you have spent on gelatin in your career? Oh my goodness. Like hundreds of or- hundreds upon hundreds. Yeah. Like I, well, my parents <laughs> have to provide that at the beginning. Yeah. But uh, as soon as I made the national team, they provide us with, with it. So that helps a little bit too. Like the number of applications you've done on your hair is absolutely insane. Oh yeah. Well, it's like it's three packets of Knox gelatin per updo, I guess I could call it. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know what it is it's called, but yeah. for gelling, I guess. Yeah. It's three packets. So, yeah, it, it, it gets up there, especially when you're at world championships and you're doing two of every routine. So you swim about 12 to 14 times if you're doing duets and solos and stuff like that. Oh, that's nuts. I just have to share this because I think you might laugh. I One of my strongest memories of my swimming days would be getting ready for a competition, having gotten like done my hair and everything at home leaning over to tie my shoes and my dog starting to lick my hair because of like there's that marrow or whatnot in the Knox gelatin and he found it incredibly tasty and I thought it was disgusting. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know my I I didn't have any animals when I was younger but I just remember getting into the car and the closed confines of a warm car when you have the mm. smelly situation. Uh, delightful yeah so what do you think synchros taught you about life there's a lot of time management involved I gotta say like I I do notice when I'm in the real world that I have a sense of efficiency I guess I could say because I'm so used to doing everything like bam 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 on the spot and knowing where I'm supposed to be and knowing what I have to do immediately so that everything is proper and precise. And I feel like I, I have, like, a, a need for efficiency in my life. Yeah. Um, other than that, it's it's made me into a way, like, a, a leader. I find, like, I've grown a lot with the sport. Also, because I did start at a very young age, I, I have grown a lot through the sport as well as person outside of the sport and I think that being able to compete at such a high level and being able to experience the sportsmanship and everything like that it really makes you into a more mature human and it also creates amazing experiences so young athletes and young people some of them don't get to travel all over the world and I've been to many places and I've experienced so many things and I think that that is something that I you know have to be grateful for it for sure yeah has it taught you anything about people because you're both working with team members who some I mean many you don't know at the beginning of the year as well as with different coaches from different backgrounds and you know it's the same as having a different kind of boss every year oh yeah there's a lot of adjusting for sure yeah I find I've learned a lot more about myself actually and like how I am perceived by people and how 
I can can speak to other people in a way that they can understand me. And there's also a language barrier, right? You have athletes from they're French Canadian and athletes that are English, and you have to find a way to communicate to everybody and be able to bring a group of very diverse people together. Um, and I think there's a lot of patience involved as well. So I've learned probably the last last two years or something, I've really learned how to like calm down and be at a level where everybody feels comfortable to speak to me and everybody feels like I am there for their best interests. And I feel like I can communicate with, you know, the youngest members of the team to the oldest members of the team to the coach and have this nice balance now finally yeah what's that kind of age range on the olympic teams so well there's there's quite a quite a range in my last quad for sure um we had i'm not 100 percent sure when she came up she might have been 16 or 17 was the youngest and then we came up to 27 27, I believe. Yeah, so there, there's quite a range. And I mean, that's like from an experienced Olympian at their peak uh, to the you know youngest member coming up from their juniors. So it can vary quite a bit. Well, and you've got the challenge in there of everyone performing the same in, in synchronicity and having vastly different experiences. Yeah. And yeah. that, that comes from being together for a long period of time. It helps, too, because you really learn how to act like a family and treat each other like a family. And, of course, we have our differences. That is a given. But that also builds to help the routine eventually because at that point, we learn how to watch each other underwater. So there's a lot more than just counting the routine. We're watching. We're looking. We're, you know, sometimes we're banging underwater or beeping and you know, people can hear that and they immediately, you know, reconnect with the routine or remember that they have to think about their certain correction. So, it, you know, we know by the end of maybe a few weeks together, we know what we need to do to make that routine a good swim. What are the kind of injuries that you've experienced? Ooh, that's a good one. I've had three concussions oh. off the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had three concussions. One, I got landed on in a highlight, and that was a major one. So there was, like, a lift, and someone did a flip onto my head. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that was that was my major one. And then, like, a few months later, just weeks after I'd gotten back into the water, I got kicked into the side of the head. You know, once you have one, it's like you immediately get another one if even the lightest, lightest yeah. touch is very sensitive. And then I had my third one in... 2013 so my first year on the national team like the senior national team and I like headbutted someone by accident yeah uh, yeah so I mean concussions are pretty serious and you're supposed to lay off sports for a while so how do you like do you have to take a break or do you just what do you do take a break That's yeah my immediate immediate response to that you have to take a break and if you don't within like you know, the first hour or two that you're in the water after concussion can cause the most problems. Yeah. So, like, I got out right away. I still had a bad concussion, but at least 
I was in the water probably three months later, but some people, it takes a, quite a bit longer to recover, you know, and it's a brain injury. There's no, like, it doesn't matter if you need to train for something because your brain is so important. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's a fine line between, you know, competing for your team and like protecting your health. So I find my immediate answer would be get out, take a break, go sleep in a dark room, maybe not sleep. They don't, sleep, <laughs> but you know, take a break. <laughs> Yeah, Mm -hmm. because it's funny, I mean, depending on the injury or whatnot, but you hear in some sports just that, like, tough it out mentality, but it's like, if you want to perform at your peak, sometimes taking the break is actually what will do you the best in the long run. Yeah, and we've seen so many increases in concussions. So, you know, even in my little span, there's been, like, it's tenfold. Like, concussions were not a thing when I first got my concussion, and then all of a sudden, like, it's becoming more and more because the sport is evolving to such a high level. And, you know, that's something you can't, you can't mess with. You can't mess yeah. with range of injury. So I think now they've realized that you have to take a break and other injuries like like to your limbs, let's say a dislocation that you can yeah. have out if you have to, if it's in competition and your team needs to, I, you know, you have to do what you have to do. But, no, not a brain injury for sure. Yeah. And do you guys have alternates for your team? We do. We have for the, yeah. four alternates. So okay. eight swim on the team. And then there's 12 that are on the national team that travel with us. Yeah. I That always struck me as one of the harder jobs because if it's for a team, then you have to like knowing all the different roles and mm-hmm. being able to step into any of those. Yeah, that's a tough it's a tough spot to fill, that's for sure. But we have some really good athletes, and they they can go into any spot. At, at one point, if the routine is well-known, they can get into any spot without having any problems, for sure. Yeah, It does take time to get used to that and be able to be on the ball all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had talked about, you know, that upper range on your team at least having been 27 so and you're talking about professional athletes retiring at some point like the idea of retiring in your 20s is is nuts but that's what it is for a lot of for a lot of athletes and a lot of sports so how do you plan for what comes after synchro like do you know what what you want to do at the end of your synchro career (laughs) me no not really (laughs) no I did have a plan um I was in university in Calgary before I moved because I was a a young student. So I started university and I did a year of nursing. Yeah. I thought I would be great at nursing. Turns out I don't think that that was a good option for me at all. But, you know, there's, you take a break from school, for example, and then you start questioning things. And then there's an evolution as well and in your personality. So, I am like juggling a lot and like thinking about a lot of things, but there are a lot of girls that know what they want to do. They're in school for that and they take their um, respective courses so that eventually they'll be able to finish a program. But that also takes a lot of time because we can only go to school part-time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's on the back burner for now kind of thing? It is. There's, there's like, there's discussion. I love coaching, but I don't want to be a coach 
all my life. But I yeah. would love to like go into teaching or communications. I would also like to do that. So I'm thinking about a lot of things and taking multiple different classes, try and figure that out. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to kind of wrap up here with the five questions that I ask all of our interviewees. The first one is what are the things or the projects could be synchro, could be otherwise that get you fired up in a really good way? I don't even know entirely what that means. In what sense? Fired up, like excited? Yeah, like you just, you're pumped, you're passionate about it. Okay. You you just love doing it. Okay, well, I love arts and crafts. I'm very, yeah. I'm a very crafty person. So I love little projects around the house. That's my thing. Yeah. And I love organizational stuff. Though I may not be the most organized person, I love trying to be yeah so yeah that that would have to be my thing my little arts and crafts section of my house is great are you a are you a pinterest addict i would i would say potentially okay but in a different in a different way i don't i don't even know how to describe it it's only for little ideas and then i i get my idea and then i move forward from that and create something probably completely different than what it was supposed to be yeah. I'm also um, a total nerd for makeup, so I'll do all of my own Halloween makeup and like FX, like FX and stuff like that. So Yeah, I think I saw on your Instagram like you did this, it was almost like broken glass yeah. on your face. Yeah, it was broken glass on my face. <laughs> yeah. Like that looked absolutely nuts. Yeah, and it and I get this little idea and then it just kind of unfolds on Halloween yeah. night and like take it see where it goes that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh that's nice and you um yeah I, just thinking of the arts and crafts in the documentary you had made the it was really cute the olympic rings with all the dates that that um pulled off and stuff like it was a great little motivational thing for your team yeah those are really fun i like to do those like once a year for the big competition i'll do something little it's like the year before that i think i had little stickies with the numbers on it and then when you took off a sticky note, there was a quote under it and that little motivational picture or something for each day. So it was fun. Aw, yeah. it's like an Olympic advent calendar. <laughs> so I don't know if you're a big reader, but I'm curious if there's been an inspiring book that you've read in the past few years. We're always looking for book recommendations for our listeners. I don't know what it's called anymore, but I did read Clara Hughes' book. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. It's very, I, I found it very good and I could relate to it. And there was a lot of parts in it, like the struggle and the, you know, the way she talks about all of it. I actually went to go meet her. I had read the book and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go meet Clara Hughes right now. Oh, nice. Great experience. I talked to her about, you know, trying to make it to the Olympics and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking it up now. Open heart, open mind. Yes. That's the yeah. one. I love that she just has championed mental health and yes. has made such a big difference in Canada with the Bell Let's Talk campaign. Like it's something incredible that you can do with that notoriety of sports. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. And, and she has such a big voice as well, you know, like social media nowadays, especially like get it out because it's so important, especially for young women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So given that you've done this advent calendar that had all these quotes on it, (laughs) do you have a favorite quote? And I'm curious why it's your favorite quote. I do have a favorite quote. Um, I actually have a tattoo of it on myself. Okay. Yes, it's she believed she could, so she did. I love that. Yes. And I got it just after I had my third concussion. And I had, you know... There was no chance that I was competing at world championships. They kind of took it off of the table. Though I was healthy enough to compete, it was kind of not happening for me. And then two weeks before I was to compete at the world championships, they put me on the team, and it was the best experience of my career. One of the best, I guess. Oh, that's amazing. So that's when I decided to, yeah, yeah. my favorite for sure. What's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? Oh, my gosh. Um, This is really short, but my mom always used to say it to me. If it's meant to be, it will be. And that's something so, you know, cliche. Everybody has heard it before. But it goes to so many different meanings in my life. I mean, there's, like, relationships. There's swimming. There's you know, struggles, successes, you know, all those things that all related to it. And so I feel like that was a good little thing that she used to say to me every time she hung up the phone. So it was, was, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, my grandmother used to say, what's for you won't go by you. So it was the same kind of, she was Scottish, so it was a little different. (laughs) It's the same, it's the same concept. Yeah, no, it's great. And I mean, why not? Like, if it's, if it's meant to be, it'll be. If not, okay. Like, try again next time. There's, yeah. there's no hard, you know, no problems in failing or succeeding. And yeah. Yeah. So final question, Claudia. What does it mean to you to live your best life? Ooh. It means being happy. I think that's the biggest thing is finding your happiness and your passion through whatever that may be. Maybe it's not the same place as your passion. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, like, my sport is my passion. Sometimes it's not always my happy place, but you have to find, <laughs> you have to find that happy place, and that's, that's when I feel like I'm living my best life is when I'm truly happy. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much.